morning, Gresham Bible Church. Good to be with you guys this morning. I'm excited to get to preach again. It's been a while since I've done it. Uh, first time I've ever done it like this. So this is a, a good first for me and you as well to see me like this. I miss you guys. Uh, I hope you all are doing well and enjoying the little bit of sunshine we're getting this weekend. We're going to continue in our series on the book of Psalms that we're doing. I'm going to be looking at uh, Psalm 103 if you want to start turning there or getting your Bible apps ready uh, as we get going. Uh, John Stott, pastor and author, he had this to say about Psalm 103. This undoubtedly is one of the best loved Psalms. Charles Spurgeon, famous preacher, some people think he's the, the greatest preacher that's ever lived, he called it the Song on the Mount answering our Redeemer's Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount being in, in Matthew uh, 5, 6, and 7. He says, Our attempt at exposition is commenced under an impressive sense of utter impossibility of doing justice to so sublime a composition. It is one of those all-comprehending scriptures, which is a Bible in itself, and it might alone almost suffice for the hymn book of the church. Admiring gratitude shines through every line of this hymn to the God of all grace. This psalm that we're going to see, this is just pure praise. There's no petitions uh, no request of God. It's only heartfelt reflections on the mercy of God. David is our, is our writer, and he, he begins the psalm personally by saying, Bless the Lord, O my soul. He first addresses himself, urging his, his whole being to respond to God. And then next, he expands the circle of praise to include the community of believers. Then he summons the whole of creation to praise the Lord uh, in the last three verse, four verses of, of this psalm. And then he finishes full circle. He ends where he begins praising, bless the Lord, O my soul. So these three circles of, of praise, both personal, communal, and universal, really this encompasses uh, the scope of true worship that we see in, in Psalm 156, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. So again, as you turn there, uh, find it on your Bible app here to follow along. But before we get into it, um, I just want to say this about the passage. This passage speaks to those who have already experienced God in a real way and who would say that they follow Him. So if you would say you don't know God, you don't have a relationship with Him, I'm so glad you're listening to this sermon because you're getting an opportunity to, to just peer into the beauty of what it means to know God and be known by Him. And, and I've spent time praying for you this week with not even knowing who you are that you would become a new worshiper of God, much like David is in this psalm. Uh, one thing to think about, too, as we turn there. I want you to, you don't have to close your eyes and go to imagination land. You can if you want. But I want you to think of the most breathtaking scenery you've ever seen. What were your emotions? Did, did you uh, cry like that double rainbow guy? Oh, it's almost a triple rainbow. You guys remember that viral video? Go look it up on YouTube, triple rainbow guy. It's hilarious if you haven't seen it or forgot about it. Were you just excited that you had the chance to be there, wherever that place might be? Maybe you, you praise God for his mighty works. You understood, wow, this is like really God showing his artistic creativity here. Uh, for me, it was when I actually went to the Grand Canyon last summer with a group of students coming back from a mission trip. I'd never been to the Grand Canyon. I've been all over America, but never been there and always wanted to go. And when I got there, I mean, I was just awestruck at the majesty and the, the hugeness of what was in front of me. What's crazy, though, is you can find people who live next to places of beauty like that who'll have an attitude of like, meh, it's all right. I've seen it before. 
uh, for me, like, what kind of answer is that? Are you crazy? If I live next to the Grand Canyon, I'd be going like every weekend to explore new parts of it that I've never seen before, get there for sunrises and sunsets, all of that stuff. I don't think I would ever get used to it. But they become so familiar with the beauty that it's lost its wonder. And when I read Psalm 103, I have to wonder, is that how I am with God? At one point, he was so beautiful in my life. I adored him. I, I worshiped him with everything. But then, then maybe life happened and you're not seeing God the same way. Can you relate to that? Maybe you remember uh, at one point in your life that it was easy to praise God and see him for who he is. But then life happened. You got busy. The, the nine to five of work takes up your time. And any other free time you have, you're attempting to try to make it to those church small groups or serve in ministry in some way. Or you're running around taking the kids to school or practice. Maybe not right now, but in normal times. Or maybe it was something tragic. Maybe cancer happened. Your marriage failed. That death happened. That that miscarriage happened. That pandemic kept you locked in your house for 10 weeks and counting, and you lost your job in the process. And suddenly, you're no longer in awe of the beauty and wonder of God you're no longer overwhelmed with his presence in your life. It, it's not that you one day decided to stop following God or came to the conclusion that he doesn't exist or anything like that, but life knocked you down and now you haven't quite been able to get back up again and see him and appreciate him for who he really is. So what do we do or why does this happen and how do we fight against losing the beauty of God that we once saw and so desperately held on to? Well, I think the answer to that is, is found here in Psalm 103. And what we will see is that we easily forget. In Psalm 103, David starts and ends this psalm by having a conversation with himself, telling his soul to bless or, or praise the Lord. So to combat these areas of forgetfulness in our lives, we see David invites us into a conversation that he's having with himself. So let's read. We're going to read all of Psalm 103. It's, it's 22 verses and then we'll break it down. It says it's a psalm of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments." The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. 
Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. So let's, let's break this passage down. In verse 1 here, David starts with this heartfelt uh, reminder, confession of bless the Lord, O my soul. All that is within me, bless his holy name. And then beginning of verse 2, bless the Lord, O my soul. Uh, when's the last time you had a conversation with yourself? I'm not talking about wondering, did I leave that crock pot on? Or did I remember to record the last episode of the Michael Jordan documentary? Thankfully, I did on Sunday. I'm talking about you wrestling with your thoughts, maybe even asking yourself and getting everyone around you to be like, is that guy okay? He seems to be talking to himself a lot right now. David is doing that here. He's telling himself to praise God with his everything, his whole nature, intellect, emotion, feeling, sentiment, brain, heart, lungs, tongue, you name it. David is calling on himself to praise the Lord. And because this repeats itself, I think it's something we need to pay special attention to. David's making an important point here. In another psalm, Psalm 34, David writes that, I will bless the Lord at all times. The I will there, uh, actually, if you looked in the Hebrew, means I choose to. Not because I feel like it, but because of what I know is true even when I don't feel like it. What does that look like? When the person I've been praying for comes to know Jesus, yes, you can choose to bless the Lord with all of your soul. When I finally was able to, to see victory in my life from a past struggle, yes, that's a time to praise the Lord with all your soul. When, you mean when my family member is sick? Yes, you can choose to bless the Lord with all your soul. What about if my marriage is having difficulties? Yes, you can choose to praise the Lord with all your soul. We know His character and His work from His Word that He is good, even in the moments that we can't see and feel it. When we can't feel His hand, uh, we can trust His heart. Tony Evans, a uh, famous pastor as well, he points out that our feelings don't have brains. We have brains and we have to sometimes tell our feelings how to feel. We don't always feel our way into our beliefs, but sometimes need to believe our way into feelings. And God is good even when I don't feel it. If there's one thing I want you to remember today, it's this little phrase, never forget. My hope today is that uh, when I'm done here, that we're choosing to praise our great God because we choose never to forget who He is, all His benefits, and how He works in our lives. So I have two helpful reminders uh, for this forgetfulness. The first thing is choose to remember God's goodness. And David sets the stage for us uh, by saying in verse 2, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. So for some of us, it might be rare that we consider the benefits of God. For others, maybe it's, it's just been a while in the midst of this weird season of life. Do you think that we could get back to being people who are thinking about the benefits of the Lord and all that He's done for us? David, in talking to himself, is saying, you need to think back on the goodness of the Lord. Now, most of you, if I asked, hey, how, how do you know how the goodness of the Lord has been active in your life? Uh, you, you might look at me and be like, I'm not totally sure how to answer that question. Well, why can't we always think of something right away when we wonder, how has God been good in my life? Uh, well, it's all good here. Thankfully, David helps us out. He gives us a list so that we won't ever forget. 
That's starting in verse 3 through verse 5. He says of God, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. While many of the things that in David's experience are definitely unique to him, such as being a giant killer and a king of a nation, I don't know many of you who have done that. If you have, I'd love to hear stories. What he mentioned here is universal for all believers. These are some of the thousands of Old Testament promises that find their yes in Jesus Christ. So first in verse 3, remember that he forgives. He first mentions the forgiveness of sins. And there's a little word there that you might miss that's, that's really important. It's small in length, but it's grand in scope. And that word is all. It's not some of his iniquities that are forgiven. It's all. God knew everything about David. Every little detail David probably wanted to hide, and yet God chose to forgive him. David committed adultery and, and murder, and some of you think, man, my past sins are, are too much to forgive, but that, that's simply not true. You and my sin, it does deserve punishment from God, but God in his love sent his son Jesus to live a perfect life for us and to take the penalty of our sin that we deserved. It's in our placing our faith in that truth that forgiveness is now offered to us. Through Jesus, the forgiveness of God covers all iniquities, past, present, and future. He goes on in verse 3, we need to remember that he heals. Uh, he moves to the next blessing here. He says, God's healing of diseases. Now, I truly believe that God in his wisdom can very well heal us of any ailment or sickness. That's not to say that God will immediately do it every time that we ask for physical healing, but this is what we do know. We do know that ultimately all sickness and sins are healed in Christ Jesus. We're eventually going to go to a place where there's no more sickness or death or pain, and it says God wipes away every tear. Even though it feels like healing might never come, we worship a God who took our pain so that we could be made whole. We also need to remember that he redeems in verse 4. So redeem, this is a theological word, which means to buy back. So he stepped in to claim you as his own. When I think of how Jesus saved me from my own sins, my, my pride, my arrogance, uh, my legalism, my bratty preacher kid self growing up, uh, man, am I thankful that he stepped in and bought me with a price. The pit was calling my name, but God had other plans. I, it's still a little crazy to me that, that God called me when I was 17 to, to spend my life preaching the word. Like Sometimes I wonder, like, why me? Why, was, why did you pick me for that? But what's even crazier is that Jesus uh, paid a price for me so that my name can be written in heaven and I can know, I can live with the hope that I'm going to be with him one day. Not because of anything that I've done, but because of what Jesus has done for me. He purchased me with his blood so that I'm not an enemy or an orphan, but now a redeemed son of God. Also in verse 4, he says we need to remember that he crowns us with love and mercy. You see, even when you didn't deserve royalty, he treated you like it. The picture of being crowned is amazing to me. I've been watching a lot of Frozen with Olivia lately, and there's a coronation scene at the beginning of that movie with Elsa. In every fairy tale or story, when you see the king or queen 
being honored. It's this royal celebration to, to honor them, uh, show, show the esteem to them of like, wow, you are worth what you're getting right now. Well, for God, he lays that love and mercy on us because of Jesus, not because we earned it, not because we were born into it, but because of what he's done for us. I've seen his mercy in how he uh, saw fit to bless me with a wife who's the most encouraging person I know and given me a, a daughter who's the sweetest, cutest little kid on the planet, whether you think otherwise. I think about the ministry here at the church and that he allows me to be part of a community of brothers and sisters who encourage me and who help to shoulder the load of ministry that I get to be a part of. I need to remember that he crowns us with love and mercy. Then we need to remember that he satisfies in verse 5. Uh, finally, David mentions God satisfying his people with good. And he satisfies them so much that they have this, this renewed energy that gives you freedom like that of an eagle. It's like being nourished in such a way that you feel like your old self again. So these are the benefits that cause David uh, to worship. And if we are found in Jesus, so it should be with us. So think about what, what do you need to remember today? Maybe your sin runs so deep that you don't think you, he can forgive it. Well, First John says that if we confess our sins to the Lord, he is faithful and just to forgive us from all unrighteousness. We need to remember. Remember that in Ephesians, we're reminded that we have redemption, again, not because we deserve it, but because God gave it to us through the blood of Jesus. Maybe you remember that Jesus said to you, if you drink of the water he has, it will satisfy you so that you will never thirst again. What do you need to remember about God? These benefits are yes in Jesus Christ. He's made it possible for those who put their trust in him to be forgiven, to be healed, to be redeemed, to be completely loved, to experience new mercies every day, to find satisfaction in Him and only Him because nothing else that we could put our trust in could do it. What would our worship look like if we spent more time choosing to remember the goodness of the Lord in our lives? We naturally do this with other experiences in our lives. Uh, think about like when your favorite sports team wins a championship. I legit have not gone a month since, or a week, I should say, since the Kansas City Chiefs won the Super Bowl without seeing someone on Facebook posting about how awesome that was from my friends back in Missouri. I don't care. I wish they didn't win, but their fans sure do. Uh, I'm guessing Pastor Josh cares too. Sorry, brother. They really had that one. It just blew that fourth quarter. It, they'll get them next year. Uh, you see, for them, though, they can't help talking about it because it's in the talk of what's happened, that there's this renewed sense of joy that brings them back to that moment, and they don't want to forget it. Well, what if we saw God that way? I, I love the book of Psalms because in them, uh, you'll see psalms of praise and adorations towards God. You'll find psalms of thanksgiving for things that God has done. You'll find ones that deal with pain and suffering, repentance, and desperately crying out for forgiveness. However, in this psalm, you see all those things culminate here in these first five verses. David asked for many of those things in other psalms, but in this one here, he isn't asking. He is praising God because he's already experienced them. So never forget, when it comes to the benefits of the Lord, you don't have to ask for them. You already experience them because of Jesus. And because you've experienced them, it should empower us to ask for even greater things in Jesus. Let this fuel you during your time of prayer. Uh, I've often struggled with praying powerful, confident, 
prayers to God. I, I often feel really wishy-washy when I pray, like, hey, God, if it's in your will and if you could do this, maybe you could heal that person or, or could you give us direction in this situation if, 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 if that's fine, if that's what you want. Uh, I need to remember what God has already done and what he can do and pray with the assurance that, that God does hear and he will answer in the way that he sees best, whether or not I'm putting these caveats on it and how that I pray to him. So not only do we choose to remember God's goodness by looking at all of his benefits in the present, but we also see it by never forgetting all that he's done in the past. So this continues on in verses 6 through 8. David writes, The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. So where does David look when he needs a reminder of what God's character is like? Guess what he does? He cracks open his Bible, just like we do. He didn't have a Bible, but he looks at Scripture. Verse 8 here, this is a, a quote from Exodus 34, where God reveals his, his character to Moses. And what I love about that section of Exodus, uh, leading up to what, what David's referencing here, is that there's this prayer that Moses prays. And he prays for a greater revelation for himself and for the people of Israel to see the ways of the Lord that never change. You don't need to see something new. What you need to see is that you were dead in your sins. And in, in, in God, in his grace, saw fit not to leave you there. He knew that you could not save yourself. And because he desired for you to know him, he sent Jesus to die for you so that his righteousness became your righteousness that His holiness covers your unholiness. This is what you need to see over and over again, His mercy, His love, His forgiveness. And Moses doesn't pray for God to do anything, but for Israel to see what He has done and is doing. And God does it. This is how God proclaims Himself to Moses in Exodus 34, 6, and 7. This is one of the most quoted verses in all Scripture. God says about himself, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. So why would David bring attention to this here? Well, it's because David is again pointing to the faithfulness and goodness of God who'd been at work in the nation of Israel all of those years ago. And if God was faithful then then David is showing that he'll be good even now. Past grace is evidence of future grace. And this is what I want us to see. God has been good. He is good. He will always be good. And that means he's good in your life right now, even if you don't think it's there or you don't feel it. He's good in your sickness right now. He's good in your Groundhog's Day existence right now. He's good even though your son walked away from the faith right now. He's good even when you don't have children right now. He's good in your singleness right now. He's good even though you lost your job right now. He's good even though you're paralyzed by your depression and anxiety right now. Now, I don't know what you're seeing in your circumstances. I don't know what bad thing might be plaguing you right now, but I do know this. The God who raised Jesus from the dead is just as powerful and just as good right now today. David quotes God's promise to Moses, which has been true now for hundreds of years when he writes this. He says that God's love for them was unchanging and unconditional. How do they know this? How, how do we know that? How do we trust in that? 
Well, that's where David continues in verses 9 through 13. He says, He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Talk about some good benefits. This is the benefits of the gospel in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus lived a life that we could not live and died a death that we all deserve to die because of our sin, we get an opportunity to place our faith in that. And so now there's no longer anger towards us. All the wrath of God was poured out on his son Jesus instead of us. And now what's left for us is grace and forgiveness. Think about this too as he goes on. How high is the heavens from the earth? Probably can't fathom it, right? Like, what are we even saying the heavens are? That's how much he loves us because of Jesus. How far is the east from the west? Uh, I've had the pleasure of of traveling to Tanzania, Africa a few times for mission trips. And as much as I love going there, man, do I dread those 18-hour flights on a plane. That's just east and west on our planet. I'm not even getting all the way east when I get to go to Tanzania. So how far is east and west of eternity? We can't measure that. Well, that's just how far he forgives our sins because of Jesus. When it comes to a father's compassion for his children, even if Olivia has been not listening to me and becoming a two-year-old more and more before our eyes, all I have to do is look in her big, beautiful blue eyes and she can have the world from me. I'm I'm done. If me in my sinful state can show compassion to my child, how much so will the Father show compassion to me? If this doesn't stir in you, uh, in your heart, an emotion of thankfulness, then I I think I would say you don't really have a high view of sin and and the magnitude of sin. This is amazing grace, and, and grace isn't amazing when we think we're already perfect and we've already got things figured out. God was showing himself to be God to his people. And David said, this is what we need to do to remember about our God because we're so quick to forget. So where have you forgotten the goodness of the Lord in your life? Maybe you're in the darkest season you've ever been in right now. You feel abandoned. You feel forgotten. You feel left out. You're afraid of what tomorrow will bring because Today might feel like hell on earth, if you're being honest. Well, let me be honest with you. Your circumstances may not change. Tomorrow might be harder than today. But in the midst of that, maybe you need to pause and be reminded of his faithfulness towards you through Jesus. Reflect on on how little you deserve grace, but he gave it to you anyway. Maybe you need to sit down and reflect on your life and see how God moved in such a way to, to draw you to himself. Maybe you need to have a conversation with yourself where you're like David here and you just say, soul, man, things aren't easy right now. But we need to remind ourselves to remember how God has dealt with us because of Jesus and the benefits that I have in him. And if people think you're crazy for talking to yourself, you can say, man, I'm finally feeling sane for the first time in my life. I'm praising the Lord from my inmost being here. So the first remedy for forgetfulness is choose to remember God's goodness. And then the second thing 
is to remind yourself of your weaknesses. This is verses 14 through 16 again. It says, For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and is gone, and its place knows it no more. So I think the, the flip side of forgetting God's goodness is when we try to magnify our own strength. Sometimes we just need to remind ourselves, like David did, that we're really fragile and incapable when it comes right down to it. When I'm talking about being weak, I don't mean comparing yourself to like those fitness gurus that you see on infomercials who are uh, telling you that this next amazing piece of equipment is going to make you look like them, which there's no way that's what they use to look like that. With time and dedication, you can get physically strong, sure. But in comparison to God, we are so insignificant. I, I hate to say this, but if we look at what David says, then it's true, you're just dust. What's dust? Dust is something I just vacuum up before guests come over. There's 22 verses here in this psalm, and only two of those describe who we are. We're dusty little flowers easily blown away by the wind. It's not that this means that we don't matter to God. In fact, we're, we're, remember, we're made in His image. But David, in his wisdom, reminds himself of his weakness, but he compares it to the eternality of God and who He is. When we forget that we are dust, He remembers for us, and He pledges His love towards us anyway. In all of His knowledge of our sin and failures, He still loves us. And how do we know that? Well, that's where we get to verses 17 and 18. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him, and His righteousness to children's children, to those who keep His covenant and remember to do His commandments." David, as soon as he reminds himself of his frailty, it forces him to bring his attention to the love that God has for him that lasts for eternity. What does this mean for you and me? Well, it means that in our lives of dust, that God will not remove his love from our lives. Uh, There's this quote I found from author and Bible teacher Nancy Guthrie that I think describes so accurately the truth of our weakness but also the strength of the one who has promised to never leave us and forsake us. This is what she says. I am not strong. However, I am tethered to someone who is strong. I'm not holding on to hope in terms of a positive perspective about the future or an innate sense of optimism, but rather holding on to the living person of Jesus Christ. I'm grabbing hold of the promises of God, His purposes, and His provision, and refusing to let go. This is why Paul was able to say that he boasted in his weaknesses, knowing that when he was weak, then he, God, was strong. Our weaknesses isn't a barrier to the strength of God. It's the very doorway that leads to that strength. This is ours when we fear and obey Him. Uh, To fear God, that's something that, it's not like being terrified of like He's a scary monster. It's not that at all. To fear Him is to have understanding of awe and respect for the majesty of Him. So when we begin to understand that, our response is to obey Him in what He commands. What He he commands is for our good, even when we don't think that that command is for our good. It's in our trials and our weaknesses that we get the opportunity to work out our faith and trust in Him. Uh, One pastor put it this way, you see, faith is not simply believing in God, It is believing God, taking Him at His word and living in obedience no matter what the cost, 
because you know that he will always do what he says because his saying is his doing. I really like that quote. We need to stop thinking of belief, faith, and trust as only a head thing. In the Bible, uh, they are mental, but there's so much more than that. If your faith is only a mental affirmation, you don't really have what the Bible calls real faith, faith that relies on God, that trusts God. So in the midst of your trials, when he says, he will never leave you or forsake you, do, do you trust that? You might know it, but do you trust it? When he says he will not put more on you than you can bear, do you trust that? When he says that he will provide a, a way of escape when you are tempted, do you trust that and do you look for those avenues of deliverance? When he tells you to put God first in your tithe, do you do that? Do you trust that? When he tells you to wait during a time of aloneness and that God will still provide a mate for you, are you trusting in that word? When you begin to realize how weak you are, your dependence on God grows more and more. If dependence is the goal, then weakness is actually an advantage. We're going to mess up. We will drop the ball in obeying God. We're going to struggle in, in being unfaithful for the rest of our lives, unfortunately. But through Jesus and the covenant that he established on our behalf, it will endure for those who trust in Jesus' righteousness over their own. Because of Jesus, we have an opportunity to not be left in our shortcomings, but confess them, pick up where we fell, and move forward in grace that is provided because of us, uh, because of Jesus. That, that's something that I think is never worth forgetting, even though it seems to slip our minds. Some of you might be thinking, man, this is great, but like, how do I put this together on a daily basis? Like, how do I really trust all of this that's happening here? Uh, well, verse 19 gives us the hope of a promise of how we overcome and remember his benefits in the midst of our trials. Verse 19 simply says this, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. We are naturally affected by the way we feel in the moment, the way we feel about ourselves, the way we feel about a situation, the future, you name it. But in Christ, you have the freedom and the power to not be affected by the way you feel at the moment and, and do what you do uh, regardless of how you feel. Th that's the power of Christ in us, the inner workings of his grace through us. I mean, that's an amazing hope and freedom to no longer be prisoners to sin and, sin and self because instead there's someone reigning on the throne overall. What glorious blessings that we have, the power of Christ, that we no longer have to pay attention to ourselves when it comes to, to worry and fear and guilt. His blood made us holy, and, and the fact that we now abide in His mighty hands is our rest. We must do what we have to do, and, and that doing is never forgetting to choose to remember the goodness of the Lord, which should cause us to praise Him for who He is. Jesus sits on the throne. His kingdom will never end. That's a promise that we can hold on to. Our sufferings here are just for a moment in light of eternity. We can have hope that trouble will not always last. Psalm 103 reminds believers that those who worship God in spirit and in truth bow before King Jesus. And then the last portion of the psalm shows us that all of creation joins us in remembering the goodness of God. These are the final verses, 20 through 22. David says, Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, and all places of his dominion, 
Bless the Lord, O my soul. All the angels and the heavenly host are summoned to worship before the throne of Him who rules over all. This is total praise. There's no spectators. Everyone here is in the choir and everything is centered around the throne of the Lord. Bless the Lord, all His works everywhere in His dominion. Uh, the end of Psalm 103 reminds us of something out of, of Revelation 5:13. John there writes, Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing, To Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. This powerful praise, I think this has practical implications for our worship. Uh, for a number of years now, our church, I'm not saying our church does this, but there's been an issue in the church of people designing worship according to people's preferences. Everyone, it seems, has an opinion of what kind of music and the songs that they should be singing. Uh, however, it's important to note that whatever your perspective is on worship styles, and I love the worship that Brother Mark does, thanks buddy, whether you like to rock out on songs of praise or sing ancient hymns, in the end, we're all going to be worshiping together. And we're not going to find separate worship services for traditional and contemporary worship when we're in the throne room of God. Those of us who have strong opinions about what kind of worship music will be in heaven, they might be surprised and stretched a little bit. I'll be honest, if we got to raise our hands in heaven, that's going to be tough for me. I grew up a Baptist with the hands in the pockets, but I promise the heart's still there. It's probably a good idea to begin preparing on this side of eternity for the unimaginable range of praise that we will experience in heaven. It's even more exciting to, to contemplate the inclusiveness of the global gospel of Jesus Christ. Everyone, everywhere is called to worship the triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's only one creator, redeemer, and king, only one throne, and only one kingdom overall. Worship acknowledges the rule of the Lord over every, every culture, tribe, nation, and people group. Psalm 103 reminds us that at the name of the, of the Lord Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We see that in Philippians 2. The psalm ends where it began with a personal exhortation to worship. No matter how many join the concert of praise, when we remember the benefits of God, our soul cries out to our Savior with all of our being. Let's let that be our prayer today. Let's pray right now. Uh, Father, I pray that you'd let us uh, not forget what you've done for us. Uh, even if we had, uh, a different songs say, 10,000 tongues, we'd only be able to mention just a little bit of your benefits towards us in Jesus. Help us to remember uh, through the power of, of your Holy Spirit. Help us to choose to remember you in all of your goodness towards us. It is then that, that your Holy Spirit uh, will empower us to worship you and to bless your name forever. Lord, I just pray that we'd have that attitude of bless the Lord, all that is within me, my inmost being, would praise you. We pray these things through Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we close today, uh, I want to read a benediction to you, and I actually want to read another psalm. This is Psalm 145. And it actually matches up really closely in the words of Psalm 103, of getting those same ideas across. Uh, so as you listen to this, I hope that this is your praise, that this is your worship coming out of your heart. It says, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. 
Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. We've heard that. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food and due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Remember the benefits of God. Never forget who he is and what he's done. And may our prayer be, our attitude be, that our mouth will speak the praise of the Lord with all that we have. Miss you guys. We'll talk with you soon. 